When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Hey everyone, I'm Stephen Hyden. And I'm Jordan Runtog. Join us as we unveil our new music podcast, Rivals. It's a look back at famous music rivalries of the past. Every week, Jordan and I will explore a new rivalry, delving into all the dirty details about our beloved musical icons who just can't seem to get along with their fellow legends. And then we'll debate each other about who deserves to have the upper hand in these classic conflicts. You'll remember the biggest beast from music history and hopefully become aware of some you didn't know. Join us on Rivals, a new podcast from iHeartRadio debuting on February 26th. Listen and follow on the the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is Kristen. And this is Molly. So, Molly, there was some big celebrity baby news in the news. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker Mm -hmm. of Sex and the City and Footloose fame and Mm -hmm. her husband, Ferris Bueller. (laughs) Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick. Just are are now the new parents of twin girls, Marion Loretta Elwell and Tabitha Hodge. Right. And sort of the thing that these girls are getting a lot of attention for is that they didn't come to the world via traditional celebrity pregnancy. Yeah, there's no no Bragelina style. No, you know, tabloids watching fashion choices and baby bumps. Mm-hmm. But rather, these twins were born via surrogate. Right. Surrogate mom who lives in Ohio. And now the twins are at home with Matthew and Sarah Jessica in New York. Mm-hmm. And to borrow a phrase from Sarah Jessica Parker, we couldn't help but wonder... How does surrogacy work? How does surrogacy work? Yeah, we just had a lot of, it br- brings up a lot of questions of, will the birth mother ever, you know, see the twins again? What kind of legal contracts are involved? Was Is, there money involved? Right. Was there money involved? How did she even get pregnant in the first place? So we just thought it'd be interesting to take a look at, uh, at how this whole process works because there are two main types of surrogacy. There's traditional surrogacy, which is kind of, you know, biblical times where, uh, let's say Abraham, Sarah, Hagar. I don't know if you know this, this biblical story, Molly. Um, tell me. Basically, Sarah was too old to have a child. And mm-hmm. so she let Abraham, um, copulate with, uh, the handmaiden. How biblical. Very biblical. Have you? Yes, and so they carry the child. So that would be a traditional surrogate if if a, a woman uses her own egg, if her own egg is involved mm-hmm. in the process. And then there's a gestational surrogacy, and that's the kind of surrogacy that you'll see happening more often these days. And that's when the woman would be inseminated with a donor egg. So she does not have any real biological or genetic, I should say, connection to the offspring. Right. Basically, she just gives it a place to grow. She gives birth to it. And that's the only really connection she has with the kid. Mm-hmm. And then within those two types of surrogacy, there are two arrangements you can kind of go with. You can go with a commercial arrangement whereby, you know, you're paid to deliver the goods, right. the babe, um, or altruistic, where, you know, you see a lot of human interest stories about, 
you know, a grandmother who carries her own grandchildren for an infertile daughter or, you know, a family friend who carries the baby. Uh, you know, more just I'm doing this out of the goodness of my heart. You don't need to pay me. That's sort of how the money part of it breaks down. Right. And um, the commercial surrogacy is is the type of surrogacy that gets a lot of attention because it's obviously pretty controversial. Yeah. When we were talking about egg donation in, in a former podcast, we were, it's kind of a similar thing of paying for, you know, other other women's kind of reproductive assets, I guess. Yeah, especially at this point where you're you're basically paying for a body. That's what has a lot of people riled up is it's, you know, if you want to be kind of disgusting about it, it can be seen as like a form of prostitution. You're selling your body in this case, not for sex, but to grow a baby. Right. And those are, and those are not our, those are not our words no. or opinions. These are, this is what Molly and I have gathered from our research. So right. I'd cover that. So let's talk a little bit more about the process of gestational commercial surrogacy. When, you know, a, a family, fi- a, a couple finds out that they can't conceive or if there is uh, a gay couple who wants to have, have a, uh, have a child through a surrogate. What happens? Right. Or, you know, another growing instance of surrogacy is that a woman or either either one, the man or the woman might have some sort of genetic defect Mm -hmm. that they don't want to pass along. So if you know you're a carrier for a certain disease, you may say, you know, I don't want my egg involved in this. I can't carry the kid for whatever reason. Let's get a surrogate involved. Right. So those couples are going to go to an agency you know, let's say a reputable surrogacy agency, and they're going to go through a pretty intensive screening. Right. They get screened for all of their health conditions, leave their psychological testing involved. And the same type of thing is going on on the other end with these potential surrogates. Right. In order to eventually find a, find a match. Right. They're looking for emotionally stable people, obviously, because it takes, you know, quite a deal of fortitude to carry something for nine months and then be able to give it away. So they're right. looking for someone who's not going to backtrack on that. Want to be healthy. Be healthy. Um, a lot of these women, uh, which I thought was interesting, are actually older than you would see with uh, just your run-of-the-mill egg donors. A lot mm-hmm. of women who just donate eggs are usually in their 20s. But a lot of times, women who are surrogates have to have already given birth at least one other time. So a lot of times, these women are older and might be even up into their 40s. Yeah, I mean, they're basically they're looking for women who have finished their own family. Uh, because I, I guess that's one of, it's a pretty big prerequisite that you have a kid in most states, which I guess is so that you don't feel some emotional longing or emptiness mm-hmm. after your pregnancy. You go home to your own family. Right. Uh, according to, uh, how surrogacy works on howstuffworks.com, uh, about 75% of surrogates are already married and approximately one third are employed full time. Mm-hmm. So, and actually we are reading uh, a recent Newsweek article, it's about a year old, I guess, that mm-hmm. said there's a growing number of surrogates who are military wives. You know, they've got a husband who's deployed, they probably already have their family, but to make some extra money, they become surrogates. Right, they're kind of stuck on these military bases, they can't really go anywhere, and they can't really start a career because they might move around a lot in general if they have, you know, military husband. So, what better way for them to kind of have their own own career and be able to stay home and raise their own kids than being a surrogate. Mm-hmm. And there's been a direct correlation between, like, since the war in Iraq began and the steady number of, uh, of military wives who are acting as surrogates. And some clinics will now actively target military bases and advertise there because they know that a lot of these, um, that some of these women are just, you know, more willing to do it. It's a good pool of women. Right. Okay, so the surrogate decides to do it. She goes through all this screening and um, oh, also background check. They don't want any criminals 
bad driver sneaking through. They're yeah. looking for responsible, uh, in, in many cases, professional women. Right. I mean, you can't just walk in off the street and sign up to be a surrogate. I would say that uh, the baby mama starring <laughs> the the beloved Tina Fey might might not have been the best, most accurate portrait. Amy Poehler might not have surrogate. been an accurate surrogate is what you're saying. Amy Poehler's character might have failed the surrogacy test. Good to know. I, I'm shocked to find that movie was unrealistic in some way. <laughs> it was more like a documentary watching it, really. <laughs> so they go to the clinic, um, and then we kind of go into like a match process, much, uh, much like Rush, you know, you say, you know, here's the, here's the list of parents, here's the list of surrogates, and they kind of find each other and make kind of a mutual agreement like, hey, I like you parents, and hey, I like you surrogate. Let's have a baby. Right, because you need to have, and, and it's not just, it's not just personality wise liking <laughs> each other. It's being, uh, talking about really uncomfortable things such as if, let's say later on they find out that the baby has Down syndrome, would the surrogate be okay with having an abortion? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, it's a pretty heavy issue that comes up. Like what, uh, kind of attachment issues might the surrogate feel like and what kind of, post-birth uh, visitation rights would they want to have? I mean, there's a whole host of things, especially legal issues, that they have to get worked out before they can make that match. Which is why it's it's really not something you should try to do on your own. Uh, you know, it's not really something maybe you just arrange with a buddy. It's, it's probably best to go through, uh, you know, a, a group that has experience organizing these and matching people. Right. There was one of the characters, one of the characters, one of the subjects in that Newsweek article that we were talking about was saying that... Uh, she was a surrogate in sort of a shadier type of clinic and didn't receive any kind of psychological counseling at all and had a terrible time with attachment issues after she had to, you know, give, give the baby up. And she said it was just heart wrenching. Yeah. And that, you know, maybe a bigger, better clinic might have given her a little bit more direction on how to handle those types of emotions. Mm-hmm. And so those bigger, better places are probably going to have a lot of lawyers on staff. Um, and they're going to kind of guide you through the process of formulating the very important surrogacy contract. Right. And it's, it's going to be like, I think I read it's going to be like 40 to 40 50 pages. pages. Right. And it's going to involve things like an escrow account, which is where all the money will kind of be funneled through from parent to surrogate. Um, and it's going to have all sorts of stipulations. I mean, you know, we think about these controlling parents who may only want their unborn child to hear, to eat organic foods mm-hmm. or to listen to certain music in utero. I mean, basically, if you have requests like that, it's kind of a joke among surrogates, according to this Newsweek article, the stipulations that intended parents will try to put on their surrogate. And one reason, Molly, that, that parents, these intended parents might be able to demand so much is because they are paying a lot of money. This is not a cheap process oh, no. to go through. A lot of times surrogates are uh, compensated outside of medical bills and all of stuff. The money that they actually receive mm-hmm. for um, for carrying the child is usually between, what, twenty dollars and $30,000. Yeah. And then on top of that, you have medical fees, um, transportation insurance. fees, insurance, which is huge. That's another reason why military wives are often favored for surrogates because they have fantastic insurance through the military. Uh, and a lot of times the tab will end up running up to anywhere from hundred to $120,000 for the entire process. Yeah. Cause you've got lawyers involved. You've mm-hmm. got, uh, the IVF procedure to actually implant the woman with the egg and the sperm and mm-hmm. the, um, it's a, it's a lot of money. So about a hundred thousand dollars and, you know, for 20 to $30,000 that you're paying this woman, it, it is conceivable that you'd be like, uh, you know, no driving in the last three months or something, you know, it seems kind of bizarre and crazy to 
an outsider. Right. And speaking of money, um, there's been uh, there's a New York Times article that I ran across talking about how India has become a new hotspot for surrogacy because uh, it's a lot cheaper to get mm-hmm. it done there. It's this kind of new booming um, industry. People are going going to India and it costs a fraction of what it would in the U.S. to have a woman um carry your child there. And and even though it costs less than it does in the United States, that the amount of money that those women are getting paid in India translates to an, an entirely changed lifestyle mm-hmm. for them. Although it's still obviously highly controversial that this is that's going on, but it's a new thing that's uh, that's been happening. Right. Outsourcing happens all the time. But the reason you would go to India is there's really not a lot of places you can go for this. Actually, America, the United States is sort of a hot spot for surrogacy because it's banned in a lot of Europe. Mm-hmm. And even amongst individual states, there are a lot of rules and regulations. In some states, surrogacy is just outright banned. Um, and so there's a lot of sticky legal issues we've already alluded to uh, around surrogacy. One thing I found kind of fascinating is even though we have sort of maybe a, a thought that this is a good option for gay couples, in many states, there's a requirement that the couple that's receiving the baby be a male, female, married couple. Right. And speaking of all these, all these laws surrounding surrogacy, um, I think we can't talk about surrogacy without mentioning Baby M. Oh, yes. Baby M is probably the most famous child conceived through a surrogate. Um, this case happened in 1986 and basically Mary Beth Whitehead was the surrogate mother. Uh, who was artificially inseminated with uh, the intended father's sperm. Mm-hmm. She had the child, and she refused to give the child up. Yeah, and they used her egg. Yes. As, as we mentioned before, this is this is why you don't do that anymore. Right, that's why, yeah, the, the gestational surrogacy is, is common practice now. Because Mary Beth Whitehead, the surrogate, was, you know, she's the biological mother. Mm-hmm. She wanted to keep the child that would be breaking the contract. Um, and so the case went to court and the court ended up ruling in favor of the father, mm-hmm. but they did grant the biological mother limited visitation rights. This case highlighted all of the controversial legal aspects surrounding surrogacy. And I mean, how do you actually work through like who is the rightful mother, father, mm-hmm. And all that. So that is why there's been this growth in gestational surrogacy. I was reading one article, I think it was Newsweek, that was talking about how right after the baby M case, women would come in wanting to be matched with the surrogate. And they'd be so concerned, like, what if the surrogate doesn't want to give up the baby? Mm -hmm. But now with, you know, good agencies and strong contracts, it's really not an issue anymore. Right. And there's also, uh, it seems like there's a difference, too, in a woman carrying um, a child when it's from a donor egg and donor sperm instead of her own egg, they think that there's less of a psychological burden. There's less psychological bonding with that child because it's not uh, part of them, as much part of them, yeah. genetically part of them. But it's, you know, it's just so ethically questionable. What does make a mother? Is it the, is it the genes? Is it the caring? You mm-hmm. know, that's sort of why surrogacy is so controversial. But to get, you know, the mother who did not carry the the baby legally placed as the mother requires a little bit of wrangling depending on where you live. Right. Before the baby is even born, um, everyone has to go to court and get what's called a pre-birth order to be filled out. And that allows the names of the intended parents to be placed on the original birth certificate upon birth. So when the baby is out of the hospital, the names, the surrogate's name is nowhere on that birth certificate. Yeah. and in, But in some other states, you would 
essentially have to adopt your own child because the uh, surrogate mother's name is placed on the birth certificate. And you kind of go through a, a little mini adoption process to get recognized on the birth certificate as legal mother. Right. So I guess from all of this, Molly, um, I, I have learned that surrogacy is it's not a simple process. It's not a 90 minute comedy starring Tina Fey. No, it's not. It's not Phoebe on Friends carrying her brother's triplets. No, there's a lot more. There's a lot more to it, to it than that. And there's still obviously a lot of controversial issues that are still out there with surrogacy. But uh, but I can tell you one thing. All right. It's going to be fun to watch those twin girls grow up because I bet they're going to be very finely dressed if they're daughters of Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, yeah. They are going to be some fashionable babies. Mm hmm. So if you want to learn more about surrogacy, you can head on over to HowStuffWorks.com, read a wonderful article called How Surrogacy Works. While you're there, you can check out the blog that Kristen and I write, How To Stuff. And if you want to drop Kristen and me a line, feel free to email us at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.